It is good to be back with you all. I love uh, worshiping with you here at Christ the King. It's good that my wife and mother-in-law are with us this morning. And uh, I just especially love you sitting up here listening to you sing. And the strings and clarinet and piano are so beautiful. You truly are a blessed body, really. And it's good to see you again. Well, the day I turned 40 years old, which seems like a long long time ago now, uh, the day I turned 40, I knew nothing would be the same again. But not just because I turned 40, it was because that was the day that I decided I needed glasses. (laughs) Actually, I needed glasses a lot sooner than that, but that was the day when I got up the courage to admit that I needed to go to the eye doctor. And so, that very day, I called for an appointment, I got an eye exam, got my prescription, and bought my first pair of glasses. And after that, everything did change. I could see things the way they really are. If you've ever had that experience, you know what I'm talking about. Well, whether you realize it or not, we don't always see things the way they really are. In fact, we don't even see Jesus the way he really is sometimes. We're a little bit like Mary Magdalene in the account of the resurrection of Jesus. She was the first person to see Jesus, you know, on Easter Sunday morning after his resurrection. But at first, when Mary saw him, she thought he was what? The gardener. Can you imagine seeing Jesus right there in front of her and not really recognizing him for who he is? You and I are a little bit like that, though. We come to church, we read our Bibles, we do our daily devotions, we listen to sermons, but we often behave as though Jesus were really a million miles away. Some of us, for example, live with a paralyzing regret about the past. Some of us despise our situation in the present. Others of us wake up every morning feeling fearful or hopeless about the future. All of those are ways of not really seeing Jesus as He is. Well, this morning, God wants us to learn that if we really grasp Philippians 2, 9 through 11, just those three verses, if we will really grasp those truths and orient our lives around and live by this passage of Scripture, the past, the present, And the future will begin to look different. It'll be like wearing glasses for the very first time. I'm not saying that your problems are going to go away. They won't. They're not simply going to magically disappear. Or that you'll never struggle with anything. We will. But we will see things in a whole different light. God will give us a new way of seeing if we live by Philippians 2, 9 through 11. The story that I read is indeed a story, a wonderful, amazing story. It tells us about Jesus Christ who existed eternally as God, who took on human nature at a point in history and became a man, a real man as well as God. He made himself nothing, the gospel says, and died on a cross. That's what we commemorated a couple of days ago on Good Friday. He became a nobody that you and I might become somebody with the Father. 
But then in verses 9 through 11, which is going to be our focus this morning, it says that Jesus rose from the dead and ascended to the Father in heaven. Theologians call that His state of exaltation. Jesus is exalted right now. That's what that passage of Scripture teaches us. And that's what we're celebrating today and frankly every day beginning with Easter Sunday morning. What if it's true? Friends, what if it's really true? What if Jesus really did rise from the dead and ascend to heaven? What if one day all of creation, including every human being who has ever lived, will bow in homage to Jesus Christ and confess Him as Lord? Could it be that that's the way things really are? Well, I suggest to you this morning, the Apostle Paul suggests to us this morning, that that is the way things really are. And if you and I will see life that way, if we'll wake up every morning and look at life through the glasses, if you will, of Philippians 2, 9 through 11, at least three things are going to be quite different. You will live with freedom about the past. You'll live with courage in the present. And you'll have hope for the future. And that's going to be our outline this morning. So let's dive into this text and look first at how with this view of Jesus as exalted Lord, you will live with freedom about the past. You remember I said a few moments ago that some people live every day with this constant paralyzing sense of regret about the past mistakes that they've made about the sins that they've committed in the past. And they live with this constant uh, routine of, if only, if only I had done that differently, if only I had not done that, if only things would have been different, then now I would be happier. If only I, if only him or her, and so on. And so forth. You fill in the blank. Let me ask you a question. What happened in our text this morning between verses 8 and 9? Verse 8 ends with the words, death on a cross. Verse 9 begins with, therefore God has highly exalted him. What event happened between those two things? The resurrection, right? The resurrection of Jesus happened. Now listen, the cross is awesome. The cross is awesome. And that's where Jesus paid for our sins. We should, as Paul says elsewhere in the book of Galatians, boast in the cross. Without the cross, we would be hopeless. But the cross was only part of Christ's work for us. If Jesus... Now get this, if Jesus had just died on the cross and His body not raised, this is what we heard earlier from 1 Corinthians 15, it would have meant that in some way the atoning work of Jesus was deficient. If Jesus had not been raised, somehow that would have meant that the cross wasn't powerful enough to defeat death or overcome our enemy the devil or defeat hell. Somehow the Father wouldn't have been satisfied with what the Son had done. That's why it says in 1 Corinthians 15 that if Christ has not been raised, you're still in your sins. 
But friends, you're not still in your sins if you're trusting in Jesus this morning. Romans 8, some of the very best, most wonderful verses in the Bible. In Romans 8 it says, Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus who died. More than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. You see what that says? That the resurrection of Jesus is the more than that. I once heard somebody say that the cross is sort of like a semicolon in a sentence. You know how when you're reading a sentence and you see a semicolon, it just begs for a period, right? There's got to be something after that. You still need the period. Better yet, you need an exclamation point. The resurrection of Jesus is the exclamation point. God looks at you if you're in Christ this morning and He doesn't just see a forgiven sinner. Now that's good news, isn't it? But the better news is that He sees you as someone who is as righteous as Jesus is. Can you believe that? He looks down from heaven and sees you and smiles So what does this mean for those of you? Now let's be honest this morning. What does this mean for you who lives with this sense of regret? You know, maybe you go over and over something that you did wrong in the past and you just can't get away from it. Maybe it was a bad relationship that you got into that led to all kinds of problems. Perhaps it was a terrible decision you made for which you paid For years, if not forever, maybe your life took a wrong turn somewhere in the past and you you just keep dwelling on it and going over it and and over it and and, and sensing that one day maybe you'll pay for for the bad things that you did. Listen, the gospel, the gospel of Jesus allows you to do something that no other religion, no amount of penance or self flagellation, No amount of positive thinking will ever permit you to do. The gospel allows you to look honestly and deeply at what you did wrong, admit it, and let it go, and move forward. Charles Spurgeon, he was this uh, fabulous Baptist minister back in the 1800s. Listen to what he said. See if you follow this. It's just a splendid way to understand the, the resurrection. He said... One day, or rather, we are today accepted in the Beloved. Another word for Jesus. uh, We are today accepted in the Beloved, absolved from sin, acquitted at the bar of God. Even now are our sins put away. Even now we stand in the sight of God accepted as though we had never been guilty. There is not a sin in the book of God, even now, against one of His people. Who dares lay anything to their charge? Do you believe that? That's the best news that could ever be shared. The the fact that you in Christ are justified by grace through faith in what He did on the cross and in rising again. The fact that your sins were laid on Him and His his, uh, righteousness was given to you and now you're counted as righteous in the sight of God. See, if you believe that, you'll refuse to live in the past. 
Oh, you'll learn from the past. No doubt about that. But you won't live in the past. You'll live instead in freedom rather than under the cruel bondage of regret. And I hope that for every single one of you. Second, we're putting on these, this, these glasses of Philippians 2, 9 through 11. If you will look at life that way, it'll give you not only freedom from the past, but courage in the present. Courage. You know, some people think that being a Christian means you're never afraid. Really. There is this idea that if you believe in Jesus enough, you'll get to this point where you're one of the Avengers almost. I mean, you will conquer all your fears. I used to think that that would one day be possible, and I've lived long enough now that I've found out that is just not true. There are things in life that you should be afraid of, right? Sometimes God calls us to do hard things, things about which we are afraid. He often leads us through times and in situations that are scary. But the difference that Jesus makes is that you'll have courage to face your fears and do what must be done. Some of you might recognize the name Jeff Strecker. Have you seen the movie Black Hawk Down? Uh, Black Hawk Down tells the true story about what happened with Jeff Strecker. He was one of the heroes in that street battle in Mogadishu, Somalia. Now he's a pastor in Columbus, Georgia. But at that time, 1993, he was an army ranger. And he wrote a book about his experiences. The book is called The Road to Unafraid. And in that book, he talks about that day when he led a convoy of rangers in a Humvee into the chaotic streets of Mogadishu to rescue his fallen comrades. If you've seen the movie or read the book or know what happened, Todd Blackburn was one of the soldiers who fell out of of a helicopter at the very start of the mission. And Jeff Strecker turned and went back into Mogadishu, not only to get him, Todd Blackburn, but to rescue other, other soldiers as well. And Brad Thomas was one of the men in his convoy, and he said, I can't go back out there. They're shooting from everywhere. And here's what Jeff Strecker told him. Listen, I understand how you feel. I know you're scared. I'm scared. I've never been in a situation like this either. But we've got to go. It's our job. Brad, the difference between being a coward and a hero is not whether you're scared. It's what you do when you're scared. Life is often like the streets of Mogadishu. It's filled with scary things. It's filled with dangerous places and situations. But the resurrection of Jesus means that your fears don't have to choke the life out of you. Instead, your fears can actually motivate you to faith and action. Take the disciples, for example. Let's think about the people that Jesus left behind, His 11 disciples. One day, what were they? They were timid fair-weather friends of Jesus. They forsook Him when He was arrested, and all but one of them were nowhere to be found on the day that He was crucified on Calvary. But seven weeks later, just seven weeks later, these men had been transformed. 
They were courageous witnesses who stood in front of councils. They preached in the streets of Jerusalem. They obeyed God rather than men. Some of them were martyred for their faith. What had happened to them? Well, it wasn't really so much what had happened to them as what Jesus did. He rose from the dead. What happened to those disciples was verse 9 of our text this morning. God has highly exalted Jesus and bestowed on Him the name that is above every name. That's what happened to the disciples. The disciples were there, you know, when Jesus ascended to heaven. They saw Jesus rise up into the sky and go to the Father with their very own eyes. And then 50 days later came what? The day of Pentecost. The day of Pentecost when the risen, exalted, ascended Jesus poured out His Spirit on His people in Jerusalem. And the crowd around them said, you guys must be drunk. You guys are crazy. And Peter stood up and said, we're not drunk. We're not crazy. Jesus, whom you put to death, is raised from the dead and exalted to the right hand of God. He has poured out His promised Holy Spirit. And God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Wow, that was Peter speaking. Was this the same Peter that just a little bit before denied that he even knew Jesus? Yeah, it's the same Peter. But he'd been changed by the resurrection, by the ascension, and the exaltation of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Apostle Peter faced his fears and obeyed Jesus' call to discipleship. And you can too. Let me tell you about one of our friends. His name is Coco Izutani. Coco Izutani is a member of our church back in uh, Orlando. He's also a member of our small group. And he happens to be our UPS guy in our home. He delivers packages to our door. Coco is very shy. He is the classic introvert. He is very soft-spoken. If he were here or standing around you, he'd probably recede into the background and, and not say much at all. He's just that shy. But yesterday, some people from our church went out into neighborhoods that are around our church up in Orlando, and they met their, the, our neighbors. They went around knocking on doors, and if people were home, they, they introduced themselves. They talked about our church. It's University Presbyterian in Orlando. They invited these neighbors to our cookout that we're going to have next weekend, and they hopefully even tried to share a little bit of the gospel with them and leave them with a little bit of literature. Coco went out and did that. This shy guy went out knocking on strangers' doors and telling people about his faith. It wasn't that he wasn't afraid. He was afraid, but he stepped out in faith and did a hard thing for the glory of God. That's what the resurrection of Jesus can do. What has God been challenging you to do lately? Have you been feeling God nudging you to be a light in a dark place somewhere around here in Vero Beach or its environs? Has God been asking you, challenging you, giving you an opportunity somewhere in your home, in your neighborhood, where you work, in this community, here at church, 
an opportunity to make a difference. Maybe it's to have a hard conversation with somebody and you've been putting it off, not wanting to do it. Maybe it's to walk across the street where you live and meet your neighbor. Maybe it's to start having family devotions in your home because you know you should. Or perhaps it's to participate or start a ministry here at Christ the King Presbyterian Church. Whatever it is, do it. Listen to the voice of God. He is is urging you on to faith and obedience. How can you do those things? Because Jesus has risen and is exalted at the right hand of the Father to give courage to His people. Well, we've seen so far in Philippians that if we look at life through this lens of Philippians 2, it'll give us freedom from the past, courage in the present, but let's end with this. It'll also give us hope for the future. Hope for the future. Don't we need hope today? Haven't we been beset by some of the strangest, most grievous problems in the world Some of you have lived longer than I. I don't know if you would agree with this. I know that it was horrible. There have been horrible times during the 20th century. But just the other day, another 147 people lose their lives at the hands of Al-Shabaab, a group of ISIS terrorists. Every day it seems that we're getting used to seeing another attack, another bomb, another roadside bombing, another this, another that. We live in a day in which the devaluing of human life is just careening out of control, the loss of trust in our leaders, racial strife that never seems to end. George Barna is a name some of you might recognize. He does a lot of research and he reports that over 70 million Americans today are struggling to find some meaning in life. And more and more people are saying that things are getting worse instead of better. We desperately need hope. Where does it come from? It comes from the story of Easter, the resurrection of Christ. Should we despair at these problems? They are awful. But should we live in despair and hopelessness? Should we conclude that God has taken His hand off the rudder of the world? No, never. Listen again to verse 9. It says that God has highly exalted Jesus and bestowed on Him the name... That's above every name. What name is that? Well, our text tells us in verse 10. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Jesus Christ is what? Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus is Lord. That's His name. Greek, kurios. Kurios means supreme ruler, commander, controller, highest authority, sovereign, master. That's what kurios means. It's equivalent to the Hebrew name of God, Yahweh, His covenant name. This means, in verse 10, that Jesus is sovereign over the entire universe. Abraham Kuyper famously said, there's not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. Every day, 
Here's what's happening. I know we read the paper and we see chaos and terrorism and awful things happening, but here's what's really going on. Jesus is at work bringing the whole universe under His rule. The prophet Isaiah reminds us, Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord sits above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in. He brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are accounted as the dust on the scales. Have you not heard? Do you not know? The Lord is the everlasting God the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. That's the truth. Verse 10 says that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. One day, everyone and everything will acknowledge that Jesus Christ is everything He claimed to be. God of God, light of light. We said this in the Nicene Creed this morning. God of God, light of light, very God of very God, the creator and sustainer of all things, the Lord of glory. He is going to clean up the mess. He's going to make all things new and His kingdom will have no end. Am I speaking to someone this morning who has not yet bowed the knee to Jesus as Lord? I suspect I am. Maybe there's someone here today who has never confessed your sins before God and asked Him to forgive you, to wipe your slate clean and throw away the slate, to accept you as His child, to bring you into His family and give you this hope for the future that we're talking about. Have you never done that? Do it today. Do it while the door of opportunity is still open. One day it will close. It's as simple as ABC. A, admit that you're a sinner and need Jesus. B, believe that He died on the cross and rose again. And C, commit your life to Him. Follow after Him. He will make you His child. He delights to bring weak, broken, sinful people into His family. And if you are a Christian this morning, let us not despair. Because He lives, you can face tomorrow. Family that lost this gentleman this past week, you can face tomorrow because He lives. The future is in the hands of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You may not know this name. His name is Charles Morris. Charles Morris is the president of Haven Ministries. It's a daily radio program that's been around for about 75 years. Charles and his wife Janet had three children up until 2003. Because in 2003, at just the age of 22, their middle child, Jeff, died of a drug overdose. His entire life he'd suffered with depression. His drug addiction had started when Jeff was a teenager, about 13, 14 years old. He had tried two different times to commit suicide. 
Charles and Janet tried everything in the world they knew to do to help their son. Rehab, medication, counseling, prayer. They pled with God over and over again for a breakthrough. But instead of a breakthrough, they got a phone call one day. A phone call from California from Jeff's girlfriend, Suzanne, who told Jeff's parents that Jeff was dead. Listen to what Charles had to say about that experience. Now, this is a little bit long, but it's the last thing we're going to talk about. So follow me as I read what Charles had to say. Our grief was raw, too raw to take up our lives again. The Lord had given us deeply consoling realizations of His love from the moment we got the call about our son's death, but we were not yet ready to go to California. Instead, we headed south to Dallas where we knew our friend Dan Duncan would be preaching God's Word the following day. Sunday morning, we were there in church listening to the call to worship with sad but expectant hearts. Dan preached from Mark 9. His sermon was about the father who brought his demon-possessed boy to Jesus for healing. You remember that story? I could identify with the pain that the father felt after years of watching his son self-destruct. I could feel his desperation as he told Jesus about begging his disciples to heal his son and how they couldn't do it. But what about his overwhelming joy when Jesus gave him back his son whole and healed? A friend told us later that Dan felt bad when he saw me sitting in the pew knowing he was going to be preaching that particular story. After all, Jesus hadn't given our son back. No intervention for us, no celebration, just a son we finally lost. End of story. Only it's not the end of the story because there's a great day rising up for those of us who believe in Jesus. There's a glory up ahead and it's going to far outweigh all our present pain. Our suffering is not the end of the story. God suffused our hearts with the hope of the glorious day of the Lord and told us to wait for it because it's coming soon in just a little while. The Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. He will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The Sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove His people's disgrace from all the earth. We can almost imagine the sweet moment when Jesus will say, Behold your Son, and there He'll be, our Jeff, completely restored to life. But it's not just seeing Jeff. It's seeing Jesus that will finally heal our hearts. To see His face, to have His hand wipe away every one of those tears we still weep. To be remade in Him, to enter into His joy. That's our hope. And it's more than just our own hope. It's the hope of the entire world. The day of the Lord is coming when Jesus will remake the cosmos. We have a great hope, a great coming day. And right here in the midst of our pain, the dawn of that expected day, it's shining its joyous light. Freedom about the past, courage in the present, and hope for the future. May you and I, on this Easter Sunday and from now on, have this new way of seeing because the resurrection 
the ascension and the exaltation of Jesus Christ. He is risen. Let's pray. Lord, we need you. We need to see things the way they really are, and we need to see you the way you really are. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you came and humbled yourself for us on the cross. But more than that, thank you that death could not keep you in that tomb. You rose again and ascended to heaven where you sit in glory and sovereign power. We ask you, Lord Jesus, empower us by your Spirit. Help us to see you, really. Help us to bow the knee and live by faith in you. Free us, Lord, from suffocating regret. Give us courage despite our fears. Give us hope in the midst of our sufferings and sorrow. And Lord, I do pray, we pray together, that if there's someone here this morning who has yet to bow that knee, we ask that today will be the glorious day of salvation when he or she will feel the burden of sin falling off their back and they will be able to be welcomed into this great hope that we have for the future. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.